You know, I've had lots of things on the end of this fishing line in my lifetime. I've seen tuna fish. I've seen sharks. Even the mighty Kraken himself. But I've never landed anything like the hot dog of the sea. Hot dogs of the sea are sourced from the exotic fishing grounds located southeast of the Great Pacific Garbage Islands, some 500 nautical miles off the coast of the remote island of Wapun Wu. Once thought of as an old fishing tale, this one-of-a-kind meal is now available from across the seven seas, including the Mediterranean, Bering, Philippine, Caribbean, and Red Seas. Catch some today! Proud sponsor of Tide 5 Talks. Hot dogs of the sea are actually not hot, nor dogs, or from the sea, or even real. Tight Five Talks with Jake Nelson. Hey, welcome to the Tight Five Talks, Dan. Um, really appreciate you jumping on uh, despite any technical difficulties. But um, yeah, I reached out because I know like how active you are, you know, and like informed on rugby. Um, there's a lot of keyboard warriors that look at a post and uh, decide fire, you know, decide to fire shots at people and decisions. And um, it's usually pretty comical, um, just the lack of, you know, understanding um, and and the factors that go into decisions. Um, but you're not that guy. And um, yeah, there's so much happening right now uh, across rugby in the world. And some of it's really cool uh, and amazing to see. And some of it is um, worrisome. Um, so I guess we'll just jump in. Um, and for folks who don't know, can you tell us about the 99 Social? Yeah, my, uh, my name is Dan Tanner. I, uh, I've i been running a brand called the 99 Social for uh, 13 years in Canada. Um, it started off uh, as a vessel to make sure people had places, pubs to go watch the rugby. So we'd, we'd make sure that we'd, we'd champion certain pubs to do viewing parties for the Six Nations, the Rugby World Cup. Uh, anything anything worthy of an audience um and from there it developed into we've done some clothing um a lot of fundraising a lot of traveling um some journalism um we have a touring team that goes to the world famous maga fest every year with the missoula maga <laughs> montana missoula montana yes sir uh, and uh yeah a bunch of bunch of stuff really uh, just uh just been an active part of the community i'm a I'm a um, um, bothersome and a blessing to the powers that be and uh, always have an opinion. And generally it's backed up with, uh, with some solid ground, but I, I do, I, I, I am known on occasions to rant a little as well. So we're all, we're all guilty of that from time to time, but my, uh, my heart is generally in the right place. Yeah. It's, it's easy to get on a soapbox. Um, and you know, that happens like across the world, right? Like, doesn't matter what country it is, there's an AGM for a rugby club coming up and they've gonna, you know, this is the year and this is what we're gonna do. And 
Um, at the same time, there's a meeting with a bunch of, you know, nerds running a, a rugby union or, you know, the Eastern Rugby Rugby Union, whatever it might be. Um, and they have different ideas, you know, very different um, ideas. So the people that are out there playing rugby and, you know, 98% of the game is amateur. And, you know, we pay to play and take time off from work to go, do, you know, do silly shit like <laughs> Megafest. Um, but it's, you know, it's important, you know, to keep that, that ethos and like that, you know, the game, you know, hear a lot of people talk, um, one of my favorite players, Joe Marler, you know, he talks in his book about, you know, how, how much he's done in his career, 70 plus cast for England, you know, British and Irish lion, barbarian. Um, and he reckons he missed out on the best part of the game, you know, amateur rugby, drinking in a bar after practice, you know, with the boys. And um, yeah, it's, you can see people were starting to talk about that, like as a player welfare, welfare standpoint, you know, like having fun, enjoying yourself. And then COVID hit and then, you know, nobody had any fun. Um keep the social aspect of rugby alive there's uh, certainly in Canada such an such an emphasis on elite rugby prem rugby like pro rugby and uh, because we have a you know every country has a stable of sort of crusty old white men that needs their needs their 15 to 20 show ponies to get them to the World Cup for their jolly up and their gin and their prawn, prawn sandwiches um, that is taken away the, the revenue from the club, the socials from the club. Um, and so many young players now join rugby and it's a, it's more of a gym membership than a, than a community to them, you know, like, so I certainly try and push the, push the social angle of it. There's, there's room for everything. There's, there's, uh, there's room for a good drink and there's room to excel in rugby and there's yeah, room for good socials. But, uh, it's just making sure that everybody understands that and it doesn't become sterile, you know? Yeah, fuck, man, I'm so happy to talk to you. Like, I knew, you know, this is conversations that I've had with people, you know, and the same thing in America where it's the MLR was supposed to be the savior, you know, we're going to go to the 2023 World Cup and win because we have this league that's going to be five years old and... um coach in Southern California in high school setting and it really is like you know I'm going to this camp I'm going to that camp you know I'm going to be a part of this academy but like it's not really an academy like you're not making elite rugby players and instead of going out and playing rugby on a Saturday with a club playing 80 minutes having a great time you know you're holding the bag on the sideline, you're cleaning up after the game. You're training Monday through Thursday, and then you don't get to play on Saturday. And, um, you know, early on in the MLR, you know, I wondered how you could pay for 40 visas and have no American guys. You know, like, what happens with the injuries? Where do, where do players come from? And they're not coming from down the street. So... Two main things with MLR is one, you wonder how, first of all, you're right about the visas and the foreign players. 
and, and you're, but the the main the main worry for me is travel costs. Um, putting those guys on fights sure. over and over again all season, with the teams getting wider and wider apart, more and more teams, more and more travel. You wonder how a, how a club can can sustain that. And, and no, no, as far as I can see, no club has a sustainable model of a retail park around it or uh, or, uh, or multiple clubs playing in one stadium sort of like or, or, or multiple revenue streams it's all just just rugby and it seems to be driven by one or two benefact you know one or two one or two um, benefactors putting the money in as, as, as like their their hobby and that's all well and good but that doesn't create long-term growth for the game and the, the other thing is that young players, the, the university system has been improving steadily in the US um, with rugby. The college, the college and university games have been improving. But the disconnect with USA rugby is a disconnect with the powers of B. And, and the problem with that is, is that at the top level still, we still have sort of like a, you know, you go through the Earth's core and there's a certain, there's, there's the different layers of Earth. Yeah. We still have the have a layer of 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 Chris, proud old men, yeah, old white guys, white guys that that it's ego. It's don't get me wrong, not all like that. Some very proud, very very humble, very professional men that I've worked with that, that are around that, that do a lot for the game. Yeah. And I'm not barring everybody, but it seems to me the people that make the key decisions, that have the purse strings, that have the major decisions, that they're the ones making the wrong turn over and over again. And it's it's because of it's self interest. It's self-interest is I need my travel for the next World Cup. I need to meet my friends for the next World Cup. And they just they need to let go of their egos. They need to come back to humility. They need to come back to the to the, uh, to the rugby communities. And you know yourself, you, you've been involved in however many local amateur rugby clubs, as have I. There's always that one family or those two or three pockets of people that are, that you know, you go to the, like in, in, in Vancouver, we have like, the Robinsons at the Capilano Rugby RFC, like they've been there for forever, and the, you know the, the sons are a youth coach and plays the first team. And the dad's been there forever as chairman. They're like, like they they've given their like pretty much their lives to the club, and and um, uh, and just just there's like different people, different clubs. But USA Rugby and Rugby Canada, they're they're it's gone so far past taking people like that for granted. It's like they just expect them as part of the rugby to sprout up as part of the rugby club, and it's just we're, we're burning these people out. We're we're, yeah. we're these people are these people. I mean, they'll they'll never they don't do it for praise. They don't do it for money. They don't do it for the last. But like, but we but the, but these two countries lean on them so much. The only way forward <clears throat> for Canadian off because they want to do it so quickly that everyone forgets, everyone just thinks that England and the All Blacks and the Wallabies all sprung up, the Springboks sprung up. <laughs> they were playing non, non-paid amateur rugby, go to work on a Monday morning with a broken leg for no money for 100 years, for 50 to 100 years before it went pro. Yeah. So like Canada and the US, come in Canada for the longest time, Rugby Canada, were concentrated on being the last bastion of amateur rugby in the professional game, which which meant they put them twenty years behind everybody else. And they'll never catch up. Um, and with USA rugby, both with USA rugby and rugby Canada, they have to get their players playing abroad. It's no it's no secret that the that the best the best Canadian players that, and the best American players that have come through um, to lead the lead the team and 
they've won a team, have been playing in Scotland and playing in England and playing in France. And, you know, just, I mean, just look at what Jamie Cumbor achieved in, in, uh, in France. You know, like he was a he was a standout for Canada for for probably five to ten years. You know, like it's the same with I don't have any American players on him, but I do know there yeah. are, know there's two or three American players, maybe more that have that have played in Europe and played in England. There was it was the ten. There was a kicker wasn't there that was out there. Was he playing for London Irish? McGinty, yeah, he's playing for Seattle now. Um, yeah, you know, and there are American guys that can go over there and hack it. You know, I think the problem is that, again, you know, like take David Ainu, you know, playing uh, tied for America. He's playing in Toulouse. You know, he came through the academy. Um, I believe his mom was like a, you know, flight attendant and on international flights. And, you know, France became the base. Um, played, you know, in the last Toulouse game that I watched, you know, in the top 14. But coming off the bench for 10 minutes in that game, which is an amazing opportunity, and to train with those guys in that in that environment. But then you come to America and you're on 50 bucks a day. You know, you're on you're you're gonna decide what you're gonna do in the gym because you know I'm not gonna be told what to do here. Like it's not the way we do it, you know, where I get paid to play. And I think I'd rather have a guy who's playing 80 minutes every week, you know, even if it's in, you know, not one or championship or pro D2, like, yeah. uh, you know, to, to get better at rugby, you have to play at rugby. And I think the issue with American guys is that there's such a premium, you know, as you said, on this elite status, getting paid to play, but then you go, you know, to a place like Saracens where, um, the scrum half uh, for us South African guy. Anyway, like, you know, he's coming off the bench when all the guys go to England sessions and then he's back, you know, carrying bags and running around with the extras and doing conditioning after the game because he didn't play. And um, I just don't see how anyone gets better at something if you don't get to do it, you know, like, if you're watching rugby a majority of the weekends, how are you going to beat someone? You know, the South American teams, I think, have the absolute best setup. And that was because Augustine Pichot was running for World Rugby Presidency and U.S. and other people backed out of the conversations, right? Like, it had the votes. America changes its vote. and. Augustine loses, goes back to Argentina and starts the slur. Three of those teams qualify for the World Cup, eliminating America, Canada, and Russia. Um, and they play, you know, rugby together every weekend in that competition for years. Um, and it's, you know, it's a product of amateur rugby producing guys selecting you know the best and letting them play together you know the the chile team that beat america 14 out of 15 guys were playing for Southam in the slar one guy played for brief in the top 14 and you know the rest of them you know they all come from the country they're representing 
mean something to them. And, you know, they've got, you know, 18 to 22 year old guys playing club every weekend, you know, and training. Um, so, everybody, everybody in this sport needs to decide what the word development means. Right. So, correct. For me right now, development means send 800 million to China and send the, send the head of world rugby there to get manicures and gin and tonics and a holiday for six months while he swans around telling everyone how important he is and how important he is while the game doesn't get built. You give me 800 million for Canada and you say, or you 800 million for the US and see what we could do with that money. Just they said, uh, cutting Canada away for a, for a second because they, they generally have absolutely no money to do anything with. America, like, I, I don't understand America because America is the <laughs> sports. Huzz, you know, huzzah of the world like Super Bowl, it's Rihanna, it's pyrotechnics, it's big, big, big helmets with the, with the guys running through and fireworks and everything. And like America is like the dawn of like the sports day, the tailgate, the the cheerleaders, the pomp, the the, the situation. You know, like bang, it's all there. And when it comes to America, when it comes to rugby, America talks a big game and talks about. Oh, we're going to be the world leaders by X. We're going to take it to the All Blacks by like twenty thirty. But, but like you know, you got to do something. You didn't. You know, American football wasn't just like created overnight. You didn't just end up with Tom Brady and 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 Red Hot Chili Peppers at halftime after after the game played one season. You have to invest. You have to promote the game. You have to see successes and you have to repeat them. Like I went to the. Um, the All Blacks Island game at Soldier Field in Chicago, the the weekend that the Cubs won the World Series, yeah. uh, one of the best rugby. I honestly say this: one of the best rugby weekends of my life. Like Island beat the All Blacks. I had a press pass. Uh, I went to see USA versus the Mario All Blacks on the Friday out of town. Um, they did whoever did that. They did everything right. The Guinness branding was there. All the correct partners were there. Uh, it was it was amazing. Right up there with some of the London Irish St. Patrick's Day games. Right up there with some of the Twickenham days and the Aviva days. It was bang up there with with an authentic, natural, amazing rugby day. And like one of the best weekends of my life. I can't say that enough. And from there, they failed. They, they tried to do the same weekend for half the price over and over again. I think they did Ireland, Italy. I think they did Wales, South Africa in some obscure stadium on a wrong weekend. They did All Black Day far over on the East Coast, as far away from any hub or any way of transportation was possible. Like, and it's just, it just do- doesn't work that way. Like, like, like you have to spend the money, like, to, you know, to make the money. And I honestly thought you, the US of anybody understood that. Um, and and that and that's what you need for young players to see that. Um, I think they're even. I think even the weekend. I think even the Ireland All Blacks weekend. I think they were struggling to get it on TV. Right. In America. I think they got it on the end on, on some obscure channel, but I don't think it made. I'm not sure if it got on NBC or anything. It was before the. It was before the Six Nations and the and the deal with um, with the major network over there for the rugby. But but uh, I just I'm so used to America being like. Oh, I want Justin Timberlake in Vegas. Justin Timberlake in Vegas. Done. Fifty million done. We'll give him sixty. Get in there. Fifty shows. You know, like with rugby, it's like they want it, but they don't want to. Don't want to spend the money, and they don't want to. 
and the, the other thing, and Canada is certainly guilty of this as, as harshly, if not more, than America is, they don't go to the existing products. Like, for yeah. example, like they, they set this league up and they set things up and they do things in Canada, America, but you don't get someone from USA Rugby or from the or from USMLR going down to Argentina for a year and sitting with a uh, and just floating around the Argentinian clubs. Argentina have, have a very successful domestic league, as do Georgia, and both countries are steadily rising. Like, yeah. and and quite and they have been for a while now. Italy are improving. What are Italy doing? What are Italy doing right? What they do is they, they just they get they get scorched earth. They build the league up from nothing with their own ideas, with a few with a few guys that come in that say they know rugby from that have funny accents, and, yeah. and then they just they, they and they get it going. They don't they don't build from other examples. See what they did wrong. See what they did right. You know, take their ideas. You know, and then once once they built a relationship with someone, be like, oh, you know what, you know what, Dave from Auckland, like you seem to know a lot. Let's hire you as a consultant to do this because you seem you seem to know this inside out. It just all, all seems to be so. Um, it, nothing, the, the the structure just seems to be so so uh, flimsy, you know, like and so so just so weak, you know. Yeah, I think. Oh man, there's so many points there. Like the Sorry. the no, it's all right. Like it's it's shit that I say for years here. You know, like you're preaching to the choir. Like starting with the events, you know, like All Blacks Ireland is an amazing, like, is an amazing game, right? Like, first win for Ireland in over 100 years. And you played in a very Irish town. You know, like, it's an amazing, it's an amazing weekend. But you can't replicate that energy, that vibe that, you know, that comes from something like that, you know, like, especially when, uh, you know, say like, you know, you know, when the MR comes to Austin, signs all these amateur guys, making them ineligible, and then they don't play them. You know, then they play these foreign guys. So now, you know, they're ineligible. I use a rugby standard, and you ruin the fan base of a great town, you know, something like that, where you could play in a smaller stadium and make money on the event. You put... England, Ireland, or All Blacks, Ireland, or or um, any combination, Wallabies, All Blacks, Spring, Springboks, All Blacks, any combination that you know. That, sorry, man, where are you, where are you based in the world? Uh, I live in Denver at the moment, but I was born and raised in California. Well, you're in Denver, and I'm, I'm, my closest hub is Vancouver, BC. If me and you knew that Springboks, All Blacks, England, Ireland, Ireland, All Blacks is happening in Vegas, me and you would would be waiting at three in the morning for the ticket the ticket thing to come on, and Correct. we'd yeah, we'd we'd sleep on bunk beds if we had to to get to that game and have a, and get there for me because that'd be an amazing weekend, right? Yeah, Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders Stadium is sixty five thousand capacity. Like if you sold that entire place out for fifty dollars a ticket, knowing that tickets to be a lot more than that and there's a tiered system and there's boxes and there's all sorts of like high 50 would probably be the base ticket you know yeah no more than that 3.25 million to sell that place out and it would sell out over you, you do that during the autumn nationals you do that during a, a one-off six nations special event or something like that or a one-off summer international absolutely absolutely crushed and 3.25 million 
It's just ticket revenue. That's not sponsorships. That's not TV money. That's not um, vendors. That's not merch. That's just ticket money at $50 a ticket. Yeah, and like the problem is though is uh, making it happen and then communicating that <laughs> to, your, to your membership saying, hey, we got this event. Here are the tickets. Here are, you know, preferred hotel. Here, here are all the details of this amazing opportunity with enough time for you, the consumer, the member of USA Rugby, to go and make it happen, right? Like, can't tell me the MLR final, you know, is happening at this great stadium in New Jersey on fucking Tuesday of the game, right? They're playing on Saturday. So I would go to that game. You know, I, I've got buddies on, the, on both teams, but how am I going to get a ticket to New York on three days' notice? Hotel, food, you know, yeah. like... Hold a gun to my head. I couldn't tell you who was in the last MLR final. Yeah, it was New York and Seattle. But, like, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, there's just such poor communication, top to bottom, left to right, like, in every corner. And it's just done wrong. And... You know, crusty old white guy from England or Australia or wherever isn't going to understand America and like the the challenges that the rugby in Canada has, right? Is that you have such a big place, people are so spread out, and there's pockets of rugby that cost plenty to get to, and no one has solved that problem. So you're going to have the same issue of, you know, like, retention um, of college players a club and then developing club players into professional players. And it's just, you know, you said like all those events need to happen. Like little kids need heroes, right? They need to go to that all black Ireland game and feel what it's like, you know, what it means to everyone in that stadium when losers draw. And we don't have that because they tell you with three weeks notice, you know, that, hey, we're playing Scotland in Houston. Like, well, you know, shit, I've got kids and jobs and, you know, with with six weeks notice, I can get off of work. But it just happens over and over and over. And it's so disappointing. Um, and like I was in the stadium when USA lost to Chile you know, and people are just like the the air goes out of the the park. Like people just can't believe it's happened, and it's like you. Where was that game? Infinity Park here in Denver. Oh, what's what's the so? Was it Infinity Park? Yeah, it's like five thousand. It's five thousand. Was it full? Pretty close. Yeah, if it was, they said it was sold That's out. Amazing! Like I'm glad to hear that because. Yeah. Usually in the US and, and, and Canada, that they put the games into these stadiums that just cannot be filled. Yeah. It looks ridiculous. BC Place um, in, uh, in Vancouver is 54,500. And Rugby Canada, fans probably because they've got nowhere else to go, keep putting, keep putting um, internationals in there. And the sevens the, too, right? What's that? The sevens as well in the, well, they, in the indoor. 
doesn't do bad there, but it still only fills up half the stadium. Yeah. Um, but the, the the half the stadium's like twenty five thousand. But like the the, the internationals and the last international did was I think I've been with the US. I think it was ten thousand people there, and it just yeah. looked only one side of the stadium's being used. It's, it looks absolutely terrible. Like, yep. like, like I don't like America. Certainly America, but Canada as well should understand about supply and demand, and about you know, you know, I, I, I want to, I, I want me and you to be roommates. And you'd be like, I didn't get a ticket. You're like, well, it sucks to be you, bro. Like, yeah. you got your fucking ticket, you know. But you should have got your bloody ticket, you know. Like, like, uh, yeah, yeah. And there'd be a desire, like, oh, I better get my ticket early next time, you know, rather than I can get my ticket the last minute. I don't really have to go. Oh, I missed it, you know, like. The, the, even even blacks, all blacks um, US the last game there I was I think was put in like a hundred and ten thousand seater stadium like college stadium yeah that had like I think I think there was like twenty five twenty seven thousand there or something could be completely wrong I just I just know it wasn't a very good number yeah it's not it wasn't big um, it was expensive and you know as you mentioned like USA Rugby and MLR like they just condense that weekend in the meetings, you know, justify sitting in the box with whoever watching us get absolutely fucking pumped. You know, and again, and nine or so, 110, three or so, 110, 14. The second try, like, I love the dude, Mattias, that scored. You know, he's a, a great guy, a great human, um, worked hard, but like, he was in touch, you know, like, it's 110 to, to seven. And it was very telling at the point for me because it was outside the international window, which meant it could only be MLR guys, right? And the MLR was supposed to develop all these American players and be ready for this opportunity. And it was a seaside, right? Guys who come back from injury, guys who had to justify their selection in the autumn tour to Europe. And it was 110 to 14. You know, like, it's just, there's no reality in what they're saying, what they want to do. Like, it's this fever dream about winning the World Cup because we have these athletes, but you don't have anywhere for them to play. Like, you know, MLR minimum wage for a guy on an APC is $15 an hour. Like, you yeah. can make more money at the fucking In-N-Out or driving for UPS. And, you know, they expect you to be full-on professional, be at all these sessions, travel for $15 an hour. And I just don't see how that helps close the gap. Like, how, how, do, how do those guys make a difference in 104, you know, 107 to, to 14? It's like the reality is they don't, you know, they don't because you don't have enough people playing rugby at all levels. You know, like if you want to go to MAGAFest and have an absolute blast, there should be a place for that, you know, and it shouldn't be viewed as taking away from from a player pool. You should be recruiting more more people and make rugby more fun to play. Right, because if you're gonna, you know, take someone that's never played, no matter what athletic level he or she is at, they have to love it. Like you have to have fun 
before you say, yeah, I want to, you know, do this. Being a professional rugby player is a fucking grind. Like, it's an amazing feeling to get paid to play, like to be in a stadium with people. It's it's something that I'll never trade. But, like, I played for 18 years. You know, I played professionally for two. Like, and I play every Saturday, you know, regardless. Um, and, uh, you know, the people there they've got going right now, I don't think have that. You know, it's a, it's a job. You clock in, clock out. And if you lose, two things in Chile, you know. They're in the U.S. They need to scrap whatever they're doing now at the top level. They need to scrap what they're doing now. They need to set up three, three development camps, uh, west, center, east. And they need to start at, start at 10 years old, 8 to 10 years old. That needs to be 75% of it. The other 25% of it is they need to need to get uh, a team of probably three, three or four people on each on each team, and one on four on US and four on Canada, who know the residency rules inside out, um, and get, basically just get a mandate to go and steal players from New Zealand, from Australia, from England, players that aren't going to make it into the necessarily into the national teams because they could be if, if the All Blacks were allowed, they could probably produce seven teams. Yeah. You know? It's players upon players upon players. Um, and then they need to start using the residency rules at, 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 you know, to their to their advantage. Scotland have been doing it, and it's it's that certain players started paying off for them. Um, and, and, and the other thing is, it's just the way they treat their people and the way they treat good people in the community. Like one example, main example I always come back to is Kieran Crowley, who was the Canadian coach, who was, who was uh, pretty much like family with the players. And Rugby Canada turfed him out like a like a spare piece of trash. He's now killing it with Italy. Yeah, he was killing it in the Italian league before. Um, can't remember who was who was coaching. Was cozy coaching Parma, was, I think. Uh, was it? Was yeah, I think so. Yeah, but now he's obviously the Italian national coach. And some of the results he's pulling out, and some of the players he's developing. Um, yeah, crazy. like uh, and this Angie. Uh, Capuzzo, this this young lad that pretty much I think he single handedly beat Wales. I think he's yeah. uh, he's 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 up there with uh, with some of the best English players right now. He's amazing. Yeah, playing and playing in Toulouse, right? Playing big minutes. Yeah. Um, you know what's interesting? And like Italy is a good sort of example. Like Ireland is a good example of developing players and and having players come through. Right, all four teams. There's only four teams in Ireland, and they're number one in the world. Four and a half million people in the country. And what they've done is they've incentivized and they've got every every club working towards a common goal, which is you know pretty outrageous thing. Uh, yeah. um, and like their rules are that they can only across four teams, they can only have fifteen foreign players. Right, so. If you're at Munster and I'm at Leinster and I want a foreign guy to come and play nine, I, it has to be okay with the RFU and all three clubs because they won't be able to select a foreign nine or a tie head, right? Because they're looking at developing through residency guys like CJ Sander, Josh Vanderflair, you know, who suddenly have an Irish nanny, which is fine. 
right? Um, Jameson Gibson Park and, and James Lowe for Linzer. We don't see foreign guys on the wing at Munster and Connacht because Linster has has a 14, right? And and a residency. So like there are 215 division one colleges in America. They carry a 60 man roster each, right? That's not division one AA, that's not division two. They carry a 60 man roster and only 1% of them make it to the NFL, right? That's the NFL has hundreds of academies developing guys. It's a team with a 60 man squad. Yeah. I think final cuts of the season, you'd be down to like 53. That's almost 30,000 players. Right. So, and only 1% of them will make it to the NFL and not because they weren't big enough, fast enough, is they weren't prototypical. They weren't the right height, you know, for this position. It's not what those coaches want to see. So all those athletes, you know, that that know how to gym, that know how to get up in the morning and go to work, then go and do something else, right? And and in England, I think it was Leicester that had 1,100 kids in the academy, biggest academy in the world. And they have a tiered system, right? Where like they they see, hey, Dan, you're playing for your club in Vancouver. We think you're very promising 12-year-old. So on Mondays, you're going to come train with us. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, you go to your club, right? And do your thing. And then a couple of years later, they go and, you know, now we want you to come play for this club in Doncaster and, and come see us on Mondays and Wednesdays. And then you build yourself up right gradually to playing for the Leicester Tigers at Twickenham for the premiership final. You know, yeah. or your Manu Tolagi and it's 17, they go, you're in. Like you right? Yeah. Like you just go in right now. But there are hundreds of stops on that train for between seeing a kid at 12 that can run, catch, pass, and tackle to the premiership final. Well, that, that's the structure we're talking about. That's the structure that's lacking, you know? Yeah, and it's it has to be done, like you said, more often, like three or four probably centers where, you know, you got humble people that have been identified. Like the stuff you said about leaning on people resonates like every rugby club does it. They rely on someone to put the posts up, fucking line the field. You know, they, they ask people to clear the bar lines and ask for donations and um you know my family's always been that at the club you know it was you know i used to say that the rugby club is like our church right that's our community if we you know our house burned down we need some first call we'd go to someone that i played rugby with you know that that knows me and would support me no matter what and you know people always get more from the church or sorry they always give more to the church than they give back yeah. and I think that attitude is lost here you know especially around a club full of you know like you said three people and their families that you know rain shine 
whatever are out there cooking, cleaning, getting a referee, like making sure the club exists. Flex mantra, isn't it? To leave the leave the jersey better than when you put it on. Yeah. Sweep the shit and no dickheads, I believe is one of them. Yes, it's another rule, yeah. Um, I think the Swansea Soccer Club, but you know, it's just when you're everything you're talking about structure that's lacking and then the that's from the that's from one end but rugby's being attacked or rugby's actually being attacked by three directions right now but the the two two big and one small the second big end is uh it's just absolute satanic barbaric financial mismanagement (laughs) like like literally yeah it's like wiping your ass with money rugby could open up a mcdonald's Next to uh, next to uh, next, like like in an area that doesn't have a McDonald's and they wouldn't make money right now. Like they just they just that's a terrible example, but they're just uh, everything everything we do financially is just just salivated in self interest and just and just mismanagement. Like like no one's talking about the fact we've looked that that we we I'm here slagging off Canada and the US, but like in England where I'm from. We've lost Just two presidents. Yeah. No one's talking about it. Yeah, you know, I, I read every day about different consortiums that are going to like save Worcester and save Wasps. But London, I mean, Worcester, Worcester, are, 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 you know, they're a newer they're a newer club. But London Wasps are like... Legendary. Yeah. So many nationals playing for them. And, and we lose that club. Like, I think they're going to be, I think they're back maybe next season or season after. But But just to lose a club, but I lose two clubs from the English Premiership. Mid-season. The Welsh, the Welsh Professional League is like is is like the, the US government. Like I think they keep expanding their debt ceiling, stay open. You know, like yeah. just, I don't know how Wales Welsh rugby is still surviving. Scotland seems to be doing okay because they 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 seem to have the same um, structure that Ireland has. Um, well, there's only two teams, right? Like, yeah. You know, every time someone buys a Scottish beanie and a one of those offensive hats with the hair out the back, right? Like that—that that goes to Scottish Rugby Union, which only has support two teams. Include gingers in cultural in Scottish gingers in cultural appropriation. <laughs> it's the last—it's the last race to make fun of. <laughs> I heard Arson Ginger say that. He's like. He, you guys can't make fun of anyone, but you know, Ginger the last race thing he just gets slagged off. A meme. I did a meme about Harry the other day, which you yeah. probably which commented on his gingerness. And someone somebody somebody actually got on there and like called me a racist. And yeah. I like <laughs> gingers. Look, ginger yeah. is a race. <laughs> yeah. They want theirs, man. Everyone else in this in this culture society. They want their, you know, don't make fun of me. Um, yeah, you know, it's just, it's jokes, man. It's comedy. Like, it's supposed to be, you know, slightly offensive. Um, and if you don't like it, don't laugh. You know, like, you don't have to look at, you know, stuff that pisses you off. But, um, yeah, like Ireland, you know, they have a pool of, you know, over 200 well-trained, you know, athletes that all, want to do the same thing. They want to make play for Ireland and want to beat the All Blacks. You know, they want to stay number one. And um 
you know, in America, at least like the high school kids that have promised the college kids that I've met, you know, like they just want to go to the MLR, they want to get paid. You know, it's not about being an eagle and that's fair, you know, because I mean, USA Rugby is as auctioned off the rights to the World Cup that they won. Like uh, World Rugby is so concerned about it and USA Rugby said, we'll take a payout and you guys will run the World Cup. You'll decide where games are, right? So like the World Cup that we were awarded, if it doesn't get taken away, will be ran by people not from this country. They, you know, they don't know the demographics and you know they're gonna rely on crusty old white guys in America who want to see their D2 club play a fucking halftime of some game and they're gonna, you know, knives out, do whatever they have to do in self-interest to to promote their one club instead of their whole region or, you know, the entire state. Like, you're just gonna, you know, do what's best for you. And um, it's super disappointing. Um, it's as a, lost. as a player, an amateur fan, an amateur supporter, a community rugby guy, like I just look at all of us together, and I just and like with um, I'm, I, I mean I mean no no disrespect to to domestic violence in general, but I just I feel like we're we're like we're we're suffering domestic as as a community we're suffering domestic abuse. We're told we're we're told give it fund our fund our professional teams. We do. We get nothing for it. We're told, pay these fees. We pay the fees. We get nothing for it. Buy into our insurance, our insurance uh, uh, for you that gives us nothing. Like, like to just to go to Magfest alone, I have to go through three to six months of paperwork to get allowance from from Rugby Canada and USA Rugby just to go play a, a social tournament. Like, I don't need your to go play rugby. You don't own rugby. But the act do, and it's just look, we get told we get one guy. His name's Bill Sweeney, who um, yeah. the RFU who bought in this um, bought in this waste this waistband tackle rule, who they're now asking to resign. Um, I don't want him to resign. I want him to put a scrum cap on, and I want him to play three seasons of waist high tackling, and I want to know how many concussions he's got. Because he he made that decision, and it's 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 uh, this is based on facts. He made this decision with no clinical data. There's zero clinical data. In fact, the data says that a high percentage of concussions come from head to knee contact when you're tackled and you and your you, your your head either gets hit by your own player or an opposition knee coming up quite innocently just connecting with you. Um, I mean, you you're a full, former player at a high level. You tell me if I'm talking talking crap. Like, no, it's it's like, absolutely. I've had I've had three concussions. Uh, two of them two of them were from being tackled and my and my head to knee head to knee contact. Like and then the other well, the other one was a high tackle. Um, and and now I'm, you know, I've got the page open here on Google. Australian rugby set to be forced into waist high tackle restrictions by World Rugby. Like you're taking away the options. You're taking away the options of someone. Like, if you're not, I don't understand what's wrong with nipple down, you know, chest down. Like, um, 
nothing, right? And like, it, it's like they can't. It's like they're manic. It's like they can't stop changing the laws. Well, they, they, they're trying to address a problem, right? And it's multiple fifteen-year-old kids in England dying on a field because of concussion. Like that's obviously terrible. Um, I don't think changing the tackle laws is what you know. Like it's a contact game. Um, there's certain realities about that, and you can't, as you said, with no data, like go and make a sweeping change because, like you know, we find a lot of football guys come out and play rugby in America where I come practice, and like one in three will get in, uh, you know, get knocked out just for putting their head in the wrong spot, right? Going in head first, catching a knee, catching an elbow. It's something that we have to emphasize because in American football, you're taught to use your head. Like it's a point of contact in college football, high school football that I played, right? Like you're trying to put your, your face mask in someone's chest and then wrap. Um, so it's a real problem here. But, you know, if you're going to tackle a guy like Sonny Bill Williams at 6'5 around the waist, like you're gonna get knee in the face, you know, and like he's gonna you get off of the result. So, um, these I'm, I'm all for player safety. I really am. I'm all yeah. for all for you giving me all the stats, all the numbers, so I can make a choice for me. I don't have children, but so people can make a choice for their children if they want them to play. But at the end of the day, oh, I'm a 42 year old man. I know there's a enhanced risk of dementia through head hits. I know that. There's a, there's a chance I'm going to walk like Yoda to the washroom at 6 a.m. every day the rest of my life because my ankles and my knees are done through. You know, like, but I want to play the game. I've traveled. I've made friends. I, you know, I've found girlfriends. I've, like, I've been to three, two or three different countries playing. I've had culture. I've had beers. I've had great times. I've cried. I've laughed. I've been angry. I've hugged. You know, like, and like, this sport has, has, has given more to me and I see gives more to people than any other sport I've ever encountered. And I, I played soccer for a decade as well uh, to quite, quite a de- quite, you know, decent level. And, uh, and I just, I can't, at what point, at what point are we told what we, what we can and can't do? You can't wrap, you can't wrap me in bubble wrap against my will. I know the risks. I want to play the game. Fuck off. Like, Go eat your prawn sandwiches. I even pay for your gin and tonics. Leave me alone. Let me play the game. Go bankrupt the club. You know, like let me let me go to let me go to Missoula, Montana, and play with a thousand weirdos in the field and have a, have the best time. You know, like and like just and just stop stop with the rule, constant rule changes. Not only that, it just the poor referees and the yeah. abuse. I get for like the constant changes and one referee interprets it one way, another referee interprets it another way. Like, and, so, and even with even with the initial changes of like tackling in the air and, and the and the and the and the, the 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 sliding up of the arm and absolutely no wasn't a foul, didn't hurt the player, but we're seeing reds, yellows, yellows, reds flying out all over the place. Um, uh, I think the lad you mentioned, uh, the place for Leinster, the Kiwi lad on the wing, where's Scrum Cat? What's his name? Jack Gibson? Uh, Gibson Parker's Scrum Half, James Lowe. Yeah, G- G- Gibson. I-, I think two or three uh, two or three scenes ago, I think I think it was against Munster, I saw him go up in the air. No, no, um, no, wasn't looking at the player, wasn't like, wasn't no intent, 
no nothing. Both went up for the ball, but the, the other player was probably three, four inches taller than him, got there first, tackled him in the air, came down, red card. Yeah. It's... Yeah. 50-50 ball. You know, like... Things like that, like, are ruining games. You know, like, the... the I was listening to, you know, the guys on the good, the bad, and the rugby. Yeah. Um, they're trying to, you know, pick their their Six Nations hierarchy, which we'll do later on. But, um, like, they, you know, they said the thing that will drive the game for for Ireland will be selections and and cards like because you you know you go up for 50 50 15 minutes into the game you lose a guy that's essentially a distance in you know in a test match so like it's now something that players are aware of and you know i think there's a bit of fainting you know like not full-on soccer you know hands in the air stuff but Guys are looking for it, you know, like anything around the shoulder, you hear guys screaming in the ref mic, high, you know, around the neck, and they're the game is now being played to win penalties instead of moving the ball forward, right? By running or or kicking it. And um it's a real problem. You know, the interpretation and the rules themselves. You know, sorry, loss, right? They're, you know, up to interpretation, but you have to have the game in mind, I think, when you're when you're changing rules. And the reality is that players don't like it either. You know, like so it's not saving anyone from contact. It still happens. Um the only oh, thing you have is it ruins the game. Third official. The the third official is what they call what they call the video guy, right? TMO. 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 He, he, he or she or they need to shut the fuck up <laughs> unless, unless they're spoken to. And, and the, that, that, that service, that method needs to be there if the referee isn't, if the referee does this and isn't sure. You yeah. know, like everything else needs to be left alone. I don't, I don't care if someone's been punched out in, in, yeah. in the, in the, in the, in the back yeah. of the, the referee. Yeah. Has, the video will show that the player will be cited and the player will be banned. You know, like there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just that they, they come in far too often. Like, like I half expect them to come in after the anthem to be like, no, you got two of the words wrong. Go back, <laughs> sing the anthem again. You know, like number, number sixteen wasn't on the line. Yeah, they the, the amount of interference from the TMO now is just make, makes me livid. Like, like you just. There needs to be. You can't sterilize the game. It's happening in soccer as well with VAR. They're just they're absolutely like there needs to be some outrage in sport. There needs to be some some drama. I mean, the pr- problem with soccer is it's absolutely so corrupt now. You need to you need to bring in some sterilization. But the with regards to rugby, um, the the powers that be are genuinely seem too stupid to organize corruption. So they're too busy. It's it's <laughs> too busy. They're too busy eating. And- them booking yeah. booking first class <laughs> to France and and uh, and uh, New Zealand and wherever else the World Cup's on. Yeah, must be nice. Um, all right, man. Uh, let's talk a little bit of Six Nations, just because it starts tomorrow. Um, really looking forward to it. 
families divided amongst three teams. Um, so I just figure, get your impressions, start at the bottom, work our way to the top from last year, uh, starting with Italy, who's hosting France uh, this weekend. Finish sixth. Um, I'd like to think... Um... I think Italy. I think Italy have got a good a good shot of taking out Scotland or Wales. Wales again. Mm. Uh, Wales don't seem to have a whole bunch of young talent coming through to the point where, you know, poor Lee Halfpenny who just withdrew from the squad has been replaced by, um, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Williams. Williams. Yeah, who are both veterans. Like missed a lot of rugby through injury, both of them. Um, they had you know Lewis uh, Resemet playing fullback. Yeah. The last few matches, you now injured, so some something's in the water over there across the bridge. Well, you got. Are they, I'm, I'm, I think they've got seventy-five-year-old um, George North in the squad as well. Alwyn Jones in the squad. I thought. I actually thought he retired. Yeah, he's selected by guests. I maybe just gave up the captaincy. Um, I generally thought he'd retired. Wow, it's so. Uh, well, I, I think it's. I think it's. Um, I think. I think Wales might. There's a chance Wales might actually finish bottom um, if if Italy hit a stride and if this kid comes out the traps and the Italian Italian scrum Italian pack keeps on improving. I think. Uh, I think Wales might actually finish bottom this year. Yeah, they, I mean, they, Italy's played really well. Like, Crowley brought in an Irish guy. Um, fuck, what's his name? Coached in, uh, in Ireland and England, but brought that academy system mentality and, and execution. And it's in another country that only has two teams, you know, and that are, that are firing shots. You know, I, I think they have enough power you know firepower to score um for them it'll just be you know staying in the game late like they did against wells um and, and taking opportunities um they've got some real beef on the pack scrum goes well um they got you know negri and the captain they're going to carry and get over the game line and finishers like Caputo, um yeah, it'd be cool to see them win a couple games. Um, because last year, this time, they're like, you know, we ought to get rid of them. You know, they, they, they're not good enough to just lose every weekend. And they were going to, you know, little chats about eliminating them from Six Nations, you know, in, in favor of someone like Georgia. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. Um the uh, I don't know what England team's coming out this tournament. Um, it's all a bit of a mess, to be honest. Like I, I just you know that when things happen in sports, you you just you can see you're like a rabbit in headlights. You can see the truck coming. You know you get splattered. Like um, Eddie Jones being taken on as the Australia coach in a World Cup year after leaving England is uh, absolutely terrifying to me. Not because I believe Eddie Jones is a is a spectacular coach or a well-beater. I actually 
wasn't a massive fan of his as a as an England fan, but because because the ro- the the romance and the uh, and the and the air and the <laughs> and the curse of sport says that that's coming back to haunt us, you know. Yeah, no, uh, no non compete clause when they release him. Oh my god! Um, I mean, you're you're gonna let him go to Australia. He's in your fucking pool at the World Cup, you know, like. Um, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones is a very good man. Um, wherever he went, he he gave time to local rugby clubs and very humble. Would 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 talk and, uh, and I met him once. Great. Classes and things. I just I didn't agree with his his uh, his man management methods. I felt that the England team were their talent was like I felt like he had every player like you will do this. This is what you do. Don't move like that. Like, and, I, and, the, and the one time I saw that, I felt like I was actually pretty right about that. I was, it was in, when England were playing the All Blacks in the Autumn Nationals recently, and uh, we all our players have been playing their positions. I went, we were getting beat, we were getting beat good. And um, Marcus Smith just seemed to be like, you know what, we're losing by two, two and a half tries. Fuck it, I'm just going to go for it. Made this killer. <laughs> In the court, almost got in himself. I think they put in someone else, but all and, uh, well, we're just gonna play now. That draw in the game, it's living with an iron certain um, playing positions like that, like the scrum. That's pretty much all we understand is an iron fist, you know, like we can get on with that. Um, and we can get down with that, and we can listen to our pack leader, and we listen to our coach, and yeah, we're not we're not necessarily the flair players. Um, so like, but the backs and players like Marcus Smith and the players like like uh, the Ange Garuzzo in Italy, they need to be able to run, they need to be able to fly, they need to be able to create. This the reason the reason you picked Marcus Smith out of Harlequins and brought him to the England team was for the stuff he's doing for Harlequins with Danny Care and all that sort of stuff. But like you need to let him do it. Yeah. Uh, but Mark, I know for a fact that Marcus Smith is also the player that you tell Marcus Smith what to do, like he'll look up to Eddie Jones and he'll be like, "Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir." And he'll do his. I don't. I don't mean that in a in a um, in any sort of critical way of, of Marcus Smith. I just. I mean he's a he's a team player. He'll he'll do what his coach tells him to do. And uh, I feel like he probably held a lot of his a lot of his uh, a lot of his flair back. Due to due to Eddie Jones, uh, I think Eddie Jones um, cha- was trying to change Danny Care, which Danny Care questioned that, so we end up out of there. Johnny yeah. Johnny Mays, Johnny Mays seemed to like lose a bit of lose a bit of um, his momentum when Eddie Jones took over. Uh, I'm just I just I know I know Borthwick is more of a player's coach, and so he will allow them to create, and ultimately as a coach. You shouldn't really care what happens as long as if the point if we if we're winning, great. You know, if, yeah. if a player if we're winning, fantastic, get it, get get on with it. But you know, if they're ignoring you and, and it's all going wrong, then you then you pull them in. You know, like there has to be cause and effect. You know, um, one one English player I'm really looking forward to, uh, which I hope they give him some decent time, is uh, Ollie Ollie Hassel Collins of London Irish. I'm a London Irish fan, so yeah. we always London Irish. Guy comes through. He played for the sevens team for a bit. Um, he's tw- twenty-four, ripper, just absolutely just head down. 
Um, and uh, the, only, the only person that might keep him out of the team is probably Anthony Watson, uh, who's, who's an immense. But um, I think he's definitely one to watch for the England team. Yeah, I really uh, I saw that try to score for an Irish, you know, length of the field. And I think he got a call up last June, one of the matches. He's, you know, he got an England cap, all he did. Um, but I think, you know, Eddie Jones came out and said, we're going to make England go back to what they're good at. We're going to scrum. We're going to box kick. You know, we're going to win with brutality on the game line. And, um, you know, it was, you know, South Africa's plan as well. Um, you know, executed a bit better when they had their one-on-ones in that World Cup final. Um, but I think you're right. You know, like, how does Marcus Smith do his thing with Owen Farrell at 12? You know, like, what's the game plan there, you know, to, to let Marcus run in front of Owen and then kick it, I guess. Um, so I think you got to choose, you know, same thing New Zealand has to do, like you have to pick your horse and you have to choose Marcus or Owen. And, you know, those game plans are very different. England team you want to be, are you an England team in the future or are we, are we a static? I'm a massive fan of Aaron Farrell. I think he's, I think he's been amazing for the Lions. I think he's been amazing for England. Um, he's kicking some of the most consistent on the planet. Um, yeah. But yeah, you just got to work out whether whether Owen's the starter and and uh, whether Owen's Owen's sixty percent of the game and the stability, and then and then uh, you put in you put in Marcus to finish him off, or or you pick one over the other. Um, I, I think there's a I think there's a way the England team I think can exist with both of them. I just don't think I don't necessarily think they're they're both on the field at the same time. You know? Yeah, hundred percent. Like there's just. And both of them are fantastic. Both of them bring something to the table. Um, but it is, you know, Richie Moanga and Bone Barrett, you know, it's the same thing. Like, what style do you want to play? I understand the justification of having both on the field because they're both amazing. I just don't see them standing next to each other in England going very well, you know, in that 10 12. Mason Owen Farrell, he's, he's been under your skin for 62, 64 minutes, driving you. Yeah. Like you want to punch the guy out, and then and then, but he's obviously not as fast as Marcus Smith, not as agile as Marcus Smith. And then they, then they take him off. And you're like, oh, fucking great! They're taking him off. They bring on Marcus Smith, who you literally have to watch like a hawk because if you if you if you if you looked if he sees one of your eyeballs going to the left, looking at another player, he's in that gap, and that gap starts of a matchstick. He's gone, you know, like. Um, which he's done, which he's done against the best. You know, they, they talk about these young players that come through. Um, uh, the Welsh, what was, what was the Welsh lad's name? Uh, which one? Zamet. Talk about Zamet, and then, you know, oh, yeah. when he came through, so oh, can, but can they do it against the best? Well, Marcus Smith, in, in his first his first few occasions, he's proven that he can do it against the very, very best in the world. Like he made that All Blacks back line, defensive line, look like look like Division Three. You know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what Borthwick does. Um, there's a lot of questions in around like the pack as well with Luke and Dickey injured, um, Courtney Laws injured still. Um, so there's a lot of shuffling in that back row, and 
like you know who you put in the row and who you put at six um be interesting it would be a really interesting tournament for england as i could see them doing very well you know and i could see maybe you know two months on the job maybe not quite enough for someone to come in and change too much one thing that is exciting is nick evans on the attack coach right from harlequins to england um which I think favors someone like uh, Van Portley and Marcus Smith, you know, um, that combination, that running, you know, Nick Evans always talks about speed over shape, like to play the ball as quickly as possible to create opportunity and not really being so concerned about the shape of your attack until you're slower and stagnant, you know, or set piece. So, which is, you know, the exact opposite of what Eddie Jones wants um, or wanted from England. Oh, I know. Just the starting lineup for the England Scotland game for England. The team's really exciting. Like, we're a really beefy, really beefy pack. Um, ben Ben Curry's in there. Um, Ollie, Ollie Hassel Collins is starting. Freddie Stewart's. Yeah. Um, and then of 12 and 10, Farrell and Smith. I'm super, I'm super excited that Jack Van. Jack Van Port, uh, Port, can't say his last name. Port Villette. Port Joe March at the 13, he definitely deserves, he definitely deserves that spot. Yeah, he's, um, you know, this is a guy who probably doesn't leave a ton of stats across a premiership, but nothing but good things happen around him. You know, he sets other guys up, he makes amazing plays, you know, in defense and attack. And um, has a bit of X factor, you know, which hopefully sets someone like Ollie Collins loose, you know, and let them play. So, yeah, that's a really cool, um, great lineup. Wales, we'll talk about Wales next because uh, they finished fifth. You know, they won three from 12 in the last test matches, lost to Georgia. Lost to Italy, and um, but Warren Gats back in this driver's seat, and uh, and he went with experience, you know, like just uh, ignoring the young guys in Wales and saying, you know, we got a we got a job to do um, in a World Cup here, which yeah. is very interesting. They've got well, they've got that um uh they've got a guy that plays like a flanker, um Christ uh Schwinzer. Okay, where are all these last names coming from? <laughs> Just no no disrespect to Christ. Christ Schwinzer that plays lock or flanker. Um I think he was at the Chiefs for a little bit. He's back yeah. in the UK with Exeter now. And uh they reckon he's gonna go straight into most of uh Warren Gatland's starting lineups. Um yeah. But you're right with uh, you're right with um, he's one he's one of um, one one young player coming through. But I don't know if Wales have got many others. Um, you know, I don't know whose fault that is. You know, like they capped quite a few guys um, in the last few years, and you know it's a bit like the story in USA Rugby two years ago. Wales finishes like second or third. You know, but if you look at seven game span where they won five out of seven, 
every yeah. game they won that was a red card for the opposition early. You know, like somewhere between 60 and 20 minutes left in the game, their opposition gets a red card and well sneaks through. The next year they go three for 12, you know, like without that help. Um, so you have to imagine confidence is low. Um, but who do you, you know, they didn't, apparently didn't like any of those young guys from the last two years. Um, Alan Wynn Jones is going to get 160 caps by the end of this. Um, a lot of chat, you know, whether he's taking someone's spot, but, you know, have to find someone better. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know that they have. No disrespect, you know, like. People absolutely underestimate what it is to get 100 caps for your country. Yeah. Like, if you think about, if you think about the tournaments, you've got, you got five, five uh, Six Nations games. Then you might play Summer Internationals. That's four, so that's nine games. And then you'll play three or four autumn internationals. So that's 13. So I'll be saying, say, give, give or take, say 12 international games a year. And you have yeah. to play caps. That means that you've been at the top of your game in that position, at that number, for, for a decade. He's been there for 17 years. It's, uh, it's, it's British uh, and Irish Lions, World Cups. Yeah, it's coming up for two decades. Just, it's just uh, absolutely. That's without Lions tours. That's without a Lions tour or yeah. uh, or a Rugby World Cup. Like, but yeah, to pretty much like seven, ten years at the top of your game. It's just a- absolutely remarkable. Um, I have no idea what what a, what a 65, 70 year old Adam and Jones going to look like. Poor <laughs> guy. It's going to be. A- it's not going to look good, that's for sure. You'll be happy, though. Some stories. You look, you look at the starting lineup for for um, for Wales, and, like, they've got some quality quality scrummaging in, in Owens and and uh, Wynn Jones, and then you've got Fanatau in at, at eight, um, Bigger at ten, and then the North, North Adams and uh, Williams in there. Um, but, like... I don't know. I just—it's a competent team, and, and there's a good mixture of youth and uh, and experience. But I just—I just can't see them. I, can't, I just can't see them putting putting points away against against Ireland. I can't see them. I think the Irish are so well drilled and so dominant. Um, I definitely think the Six Nations is down down between the Irish and the French. And obviously, yeah. as Englishman, you always want France to to uh, to uh, Fail. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> France, like, well, you know, Ireland, number one in the world, deserved this. So um, they've got a killer lineup as well. You know, they saved Sexton for the big dance. They're playing Wales in Cardiff. First up. Um, but they, you know, they just play so fast. They're like, they're physical on the gain line, but they play with such speed. You know, that last time they beat the All Blacks, last, you know, not the uh, New Zealand series, but in Ireland in November, the All Blacks made 145 first half tackles. You know, that's that's almost 10 per man in the first half. And without rucks, scrums, kick chase, running the ball right, like, you saw guys 
arrive at a lineout and sit down. You know, like you've never seen all black sit down at a lineout in the first half, you know, 20, 30 minutes in going, fuck me. We are in for a game. And it was yeah. like eight five or eleven five at half. Um, they go on to beat the All Blacks by thirteen, um, and they're going to bring that. You know, it's it's such a tempoed game, but they can stop and grind. You know, they have they have the team to do both, and then um, France like just full of mutants one through eight. You know, and I think they go through DuPont. Like if, you know, he got a, a random red card for Toulouse and missed four games, he's going to be back for Six Nations. But if something like that were to happen, you know, I think France becomes very beatable for Ireland. Um, you know, England on their day at Twickenham without DuPont, you know. and um, But, yeah, I, I sort of tip the French to win. I'm really looking forward to France-Ireland. Yeah. It's going to be a great game. Just to, I know, it's, no, they're not in the, uh, in the Six Nations, but the, 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 the Ireland-All Blacks game um, at Soldier Field, when the Irish beat them for the first time in like 101 years, um, I said that day, I was, I was sat in the press box, and I, I think I, the guy from RTE, which is the Irish network on the right of me, or the guy from the Daily Mail, on the left of me, uh, I said, Ireland are winning this today. And they're like, oh, so you can tell after 100 years what game the Irish are going to win. I'm like, yeah. They're gonna I, I was in all the press conferences, all the captain's runs. I followed all the media that week. The, 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 the Irish have been this way ever since. The, the All Blacks were going to, going, to, going to basketball games, wandering around, there, running around Chicago in their kit. Eating McDonald's, like hanging out, drink, you know, drinking Red Bull, like like taking photos with fans, all this sort of stuff. The Irish were in the gym. They were drilling. They were captain's run was bang, 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 in and out. Whereas the All Blacks, they were doing, they had a big like thing around the captain doing all like interviews and stuff. Um, the Irish were always winning that game, and the the Irish are so well drilled and are so disciplined, and as such as such like a. Um, just a nucleus of like solid players running down their running down their spine, like Sexton, you know, like uh, like Tadburn, like Peter O'Mahony, Peter O'Mahony, who literally cannot be destroyed. Yeah, like I I, I could hold a bazooka against Peter O'Mahony's skull and set it off, and like after the smoke sound, he'd just be there, like, is that what you got, you pussy? You know, like he just—he literally like, like you know, he didn't look a big man either. Like he's a scary man. Like I wouldn't fight him, but he's—he's not—he's 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 not, um, not, not, not Tad Burn. You know, like he's not—he's not like a big monster. You know, like and uh, but um, and then with new players coming through, yeah, with flair players like Gibson Park and James Lowe coming through and Gary Ringrose and and all that. Like it's just uh, it's. Um, the Irish have a lot, of, a lot of depth, and the players coming through every single. Like when you got a player like Kian Healy and Bundyaki on the bench, Connor Murray on the bench, yeah. who are for their clubs. Like they're just the depth, and England have the same depth. I would argue that's some of the best depth on the planet right now for rugby. Which is not, which is not putting the pieces together. Like our, our coaching hasn't been putting the pieces together, and, and we've been letting ego get in the way. Like. 
players like Danny Care that are on form, that that are a major like a major like component of of uh, the pattern of playing with Marcus Smith and with um, the, the Freddie Stewart who's a Harlequins as well. Like they're, uh, they're all, he's the Leicester guy. Um, or is it Don Brand? Is it Don Brand that plays Don with Brad, like, yeah. Don Brand? Like they've got this like nucleus of like back row moves and like drills and like that you know they 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 know where each other are on the field. But Danny Care says one wrong word to Eddie Jones and he never plays for England again. You know? Yeah, I mean like, that connection yeah. eight nine ten could work for England just like it works for Harlequins. You know? Yeah, like you you, you need. I, I'm all for discipline and I'm all for doing what your coach says and all this sort of stuff. But like the iron fist just doesn't work in rugby. Like you're you're asking a lot of these men to like potentially cripple themselves every time they put a shirt on for you. Yeah, the least you can do is listen to their input and you know like like you, you know you know damn well that someone like Danny Care wouldn't have walked up to Eddie Jones and says fuck you Eddie. This is what you know he would have been respectful about it, but but no one nobody will nobody could question or will question the word of Jones. You know like oh like the word of Eddie. You know like yeah. so anyone that even even stepped to that or even insinuated that was like just cut away from the squad, you know? Yeah, I mean, 350 appearances for the Harlequins Danny Care has. Like, just the amount of experience, game management, you know, the rugby IQ. Um, to have, you know, someone that came in there with Van Portley, like, showing him how to do it, you know? Like, where do you kick it in Twickenham? Like, I'll show you exactly where to put this ball. Um, stuff like that, you know, stuff you would get at a club, you know, <laughs> like playing with guys, having a beer with guys, like getting to know him, and he, you know, is I think uh, as important on that level as it is at MagaFest or Type Five Sevens, you know, like being a part of that, being together, like it, it helps, it helps on the field. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, with Dom Brandt, Carrion, um, I mean, there's so many guys not in the squad for England. You know, they watch and go, like, how how is he not in? Um, but, you know, you have to, have to pick 23 at some point. Um, and England is just chock full of, you know, that you know, premiership is... Um, with the exception of what happened, you know, to Worcester and and um, Wasps, you know, which is purely financial overextension, I think is a great league, you know, and um, it does what it's intended to do, right? And that's making them better. Well, to Tom Curry and, and Henry Slade are definitely going to be players that I missed. Yeah. They're there through injury, but like just uh, um, it, people say, like, oh, there's players like Alex Coles and Hugh Tizard, um, uh, Coconut Singer and George Furbank. Like, they're just they, you know, and, and Jack Noel and John, Jack Noel, Johnny Man, Billy Villa, Billy Villa Pola, bless him, he's obviously a great servant for England, but you know, the, there's, there's a time when. Maybe it's maybe it's maybe it's just it's time to step down, you know. And Billy Vanapolo hasn't hasn't been at his best in an England jersey for a while now. Um, yeah, you know, this is like one dimensional, right? Like yeah. you're gonna carry super hard. Like okay, 
you know, at the international level, everyone knows how to tackle. So, you know, you're asking a guy to break two, three tackles, you know, at once, and um, he's, you know, it doesn't really fit the game plan, you know, ultimately. Yeah. And, and there has to be a reason that Johnny Man and Jack Noel left out, either like not fully fit or uh, they haven't been performing so well at, at their club level. But uh, I'm a big Jack Noel fan. You know, he hasn't. Uh, two of my favorites. Very well. Henry Slade, you know, that connection at Exeter um, works really well. And um, I'm sad not to see Slade playing 13, but. Um, you know, I'm still baffled by the 10 12, you know, because um, the center from Bath, um, who plays on the outside, like put him and Marchant, him and Tulagi in there and to really do his job down the middle of the field. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. Well, I think, yes, that's everyone. In the Six Nations, uh, so you, who do you tip to win? Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna tip France to win because yeah. I'm very bad luck for people. So well, <laughs> I want Ireland to win, but if I say yeah. yeah, French are definitely gonna win, then uh, that puts them, that puts them, uh, that puts a slight curse on them. So hopefully they won't. <laughs> I feel the same. Yeah, so Italy up first for them. Uh, England, Scotland, uh, Calcutta Cup. Any predictions? We've had enough of that shit. Like, we're gonna, <laughs> gonna put, I think we're going to do Scotland by at least 15 points tomorrow. Awesome. And then Wales uh, hosting Ireland at the Millennium Stadium. Uh, Ireland by... I think the Welsh are going to play well, but I think the, I think the Irish will... Pivot by 10. Yeah. It's a good pick. Yeah, I don't know. I like the underdog story, I think. Um, you know, like the Italy game, it'll be decided 60, 65 minutes in, you know, how they use the bench and um, where they're at in the game. But it'll be a, be a great game to watch. Fuck. Excited. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good tournament because you don't really know what to expect, to be honest. Yeah, and then uh, as far as the '99 social man, um, you have viewing parties coming up tomorrow. Yeah, we've got the the first four weeks. Uh, we're hosting at the the Ox Pub on Gramble and Robson, um, and then in the final week, Super Saturday. We're taking over the Hollywood Theatre in Kitsilano in Vancouver for the Wales, France, and uh, England Ireland game. We'll have tickets wow. going up for that soon. Um, we did our tenth anniversary there. We had almost three hundred people there for uh, for Ireland, Australia, and England All Blacks. So we're hoping for a similar amount for the for the Ireland uh, Ireland England game. And we uh, we've taking the pandemic in mind and in the community in mind we our tickets are twelve dollars it's uh, ten dollars for the ticket and a two dollar um uh, cultural fee for the hollywood theater because uh, it's a it's a protected building um 
but we make it known that if, if anybody can't afford a ticket or is uh, tight for cash these days or has friends going or, or et cetera and can't quite stretch to the ticket cover, we, we, send, we send free tickets to people. Um, we don't want we don't want financial we don't want the financial aspect of the of the day to turn any any rugby fan away from one of our events. So we have that in place for all of our events now. Like if you uh, if we give you the benefit of the doubt, you can you can message us and say you can't afford a ticket, and we'll just we'll send you on for free. That's fantastic! What a great idea! Um, great cause, you know, and helping out, you know. Uh, Helping the community, you know, as they take care of you. It's a novel concept. Well, it's a massive, a massive issue right now, not just in the rugby community, but just in the world in general. And yeah. you know, a good a good game on the screen and a you know, and a beer and some people to hang out with and, and socialize with is uh can be can be worth can be worth more than some people realize sometimes, you know. Absolutely. No, I, I mean I started this podcast, uh in the middle of the pandemic, you know, and missing practice and games and, you know, went on for two years. So, you know, buddies that I knew I would see during the rugby season as you travel, you know, for premiership stuff, um, suddenly you don't have that anymore. Like th there's no opportunity to go and see your friends. And um, so I uh, started calling and chatting on this thing and, Trying to trying to solve some of these problems in the world <laughs> one one guess at a time, but um, yeah, I've got a ten year anniversary coming up this year. There you go. Um, for tie five seven. And... Oh. Sorry, I lost you. Oh, congratulations, man! Thank you. Yeah, and um. It was another thing that was born born out of wanting to make sure I could still have fun playing, and um, it's been a great time. You know, social rugby, five in the scrum at a seventh game, and uh, pregame weigh-in to determine winners. Um, it's been uh, well received everywhere we've gone. Well. Uh, shoot, man, you know, been on for 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> really appreciate it, Dan. You know, I could talk to you all day. Um, any one of the the things you brought up, you know, with the game, how things are going, like, super important. I think that people understand that and try to change the way they think, um, you know, the, what rugby should do for them. Um, you probably got it wrong, you know, if you're in a position of power thinking that it's about you and your decision, not about, you know, the million people in America that pay dues to USA Rugby. Um, you know, the people in Canada that, you know, want to play an inclusive game that, you know, is, has room for everyone. Um, so I appreciate you, Dan. Um, Isn't that a JFK quote? Don't think what you can do. Don't think what your sport can do for you. Yeah. Think what you can do for your sport. That's the next meme for you, man. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta get some likes on that one. But it's true. Um, it's absolutely the attitude you know that needs to be you know shared um, and adopted. And you got it. You know you're doing doing the Lord's work up there in Vancouver, man. Spreading the good word and.
leading by example, um, you know, as a real rugby guy does. Thanks, man. You bet. Really appreciate you stopping by. Um, hope to see you around soon. Yes, sir. Well, I have to, have to get a trip to Denver at some point. There you go. Or uh, we'll just meet in Montana, I suppose. There you go. All right, man. Thanks, Dano. Thanks for having me.